Hello. <laughs> okay. Uh, so last year, when I asked if I could preach a bit in this season, I prayed about what I should teach about, and I felt that God told me to to talk about freedom, and um, and to really, really look at what the Bible says about freedom. Uh, now, freedom is a concept that really, really speaks to me. Um, I would say that I'm big on freedom, freedom of speech, freedom in worship, free to, freedom to be yourself. Um, it's always been something that has resonated with me in the natural and in the spiritual. So I was quite excited about looking into what the Bible says about freedom and seeing what God would reveal to me as I looked into his word. Uh, but what I found has really, really challenged me and made me redefine my definition of freedom. And though it's always tough when you realize that you were wrong <laughs> or that your understanding was quite immature, that's a good place to be, I think, because it's only when you get to that place that you realize uh, the necessity for growth and the necessity to, be, to become more Christ-like. Um, so hopefully, hopefully you guys are going to get something out of what I say today but otherwise, God just really wanted to teach me this. <laughs> so, um, right, I've recently been rereading a book by a guy called Danny Silk, and it's called The Culture of Honor. Um, and it talks about how we should treat others with the honor and respect that we were created for, because that is how God treats each one of us, with honor and respect. Danny Silk talks about the fact that the church is sometimes reacted in fear of sin. Um, it's basically tried to control people to keep them from sinning. He likens the approach of some Christians to that of the Pharisees. You know, the whole attitude of, um, keep your mess away from me, shut that down, I don't want to be contaminated by it, let's stop people from being able to sin. Let's get rid of every opportunity for sin. Whereas he writes that God isn't afraid of sin. That because perfect love casts out all fear, and he himself is love, then how can he be afraid of anything? And he isn't afraid of sin. If he was afraid of sin, then he would be into control as well. He'd be into controlling us. He would have put a nice big barbed wire fence around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that would have been that. Adam and Eve would have had to have behaved themselves. But he didn't do that. Danny Silk writes that God isn't into removing all our options so that we must obey him. He gives us freedom. And he can do this because he knows the end from the beginning. And he had a plan to restore us, to redeem us and the whole of creation in spite of what happened in the garden and in spite of what happens in our imperfect lives. So I thought that was quite interesting stuff. Um, so I read the beginning of Genesis again, and I was struck by the fact that what God says is, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you shall surely die. I was struck by the choice that was given to Adam and Eve. They could eat from all the trees, even the tree of life, which is, I think, where the good stuff is. Um, 
They were free to do as they wanted, but God advised them of what would happen if they ate of the one tree that they weren't supposed to. He didn't control them, but he did advise them of the consequences of their actions. And of course, we all know what happened. They eat from that one tree that they weren't supposed to, and they have to be removed from Eden and from access to the tree of life. And we inherit that because we have all sinned. But then, of course, thank the Lord, (laughs) Jesus brings it all full circle. He overcomes the world, and those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, as it says in Revelation, they too become overcomers, and they they therefore have the right to eat from the tree of life once more. So, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, what? Why? Why go through all of that when he could just have kept them away from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil? And I think the only, the only thing you can gather out of that is that he thought it was worth it. He thought it was worth giving us the freedom to choose and even to choose badly so that with open eyes, by the new and living way that Jesus has prepared for us, we would finally choose him above all else. And in this way, we're fully restored, and God has the, he receives the full and unlimited love and glory which he deserves. So, as I was reading the Bible, and looking up passages about freedom, I realized that freedom is quite a big deal in the Bible. There's all this stuff about the Hebrew slaves being set free in the year of Jubilee. There's the Exodus story of Israel gaining freedom from Egypt. And there is that scripture which Jesus chose to read out in the synagogue, where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. So freedom comes up a lot, and it crops up a lot in the Psalms as well. And in many of the verses which speak of being set free, it's the, the word that, he, that is used for being set free, is, it literally means being placed in a broad or a wide place. And um, yeah, as in the Psalm 119, verse 45, which says, and I shall walk about in freedom, or in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. So when I read this, I was like, yes, this really makes sense to me, because I'm a little bit claustrophobic, and I really hate the idea of being constrained and not being able to break free. So the idea that God wants us to be in a wide, broad place, and that that's synonymous with freedom, that sat well with me. So for me, basically, so far, so good. I was like, yes, God's into freedom. He's not into control. Good. And I've got to say, all the... If I ever see people concentrating in the name of Jesus on controlling behavior, I find it hard to see Father God in that. Um, And so I I was very happy with the idea of God being on the side of freedom and of placing us in broad places. Yes. Good. But then, as I carried on reading the passages where freedom comes up in the Bible, I came across a theme 
it, it started to develop that I didn't expect. As I read on, it seemed that freedom is barely ever mentioned without it being linked to God's commands or to servanthood to God and others or even to being a slave of righteousness. And I could feel the unease start to grow in me, actually. The idea that we would be set free from one kind of slavery, but, you know, from slavery to sin, to the flesh, to fear, to the law, but be, the idea of being equally bound by a new kind of slavery, like an obligation and um, to a new set of commands and ser- to a new servanthood. Um, I felt, I don't know, I just... I was, I was quite surprised by finding this. So I thought it might be time for me to, to actually work out what I thought freedom was. It, what do I think freedom is? Well, so I looked in the dictionary, basically. Hopefully, yeah, <coughs> I will explain this. Um, I looked in the dictionary at what it says about freedom, and this is what it says, and this is how I think if it, how it links with the Bible. Number one, freedom is the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical restraint. Yep, talks about this kind of freedom in Psalms particularly. Talks about that kind of freedom all the time in the Bible. Freedom is the exemption from external control, interference, regulation. Yep, as the old law and the requirements of the old covenant, Galatians is full of this kind of freedom. Number three, the power to determine action without restraint. Yeah, God's given us free choice. Number four, personal liberty as opposed to bondage or slavery. Yeah, pretty sure God is against actual slavery and he sets us free from slavery to sin and the flesh. Number five, exemption from the presence of anything specified, usually followed by from. So what that means is freedom from something, freedom from fear and That's everywhere in the Bible. Freedom from fear, freedom from condemnation, freedom from the impossible demands of the law, freedom from sin, freedom from death. Yep, so that all kind of made sense to me. Yep, in the Bible. And then number six, the absence or release from ties, obligations, etc. Well, yes, from the former ones, from the former ties we are released, but does this freedom come with new ties and new obligations? But as I was reading this, God was definitely in this, because as I was reading it, I noticed underneath it, it said synonyms. And I saw that when you look up the term freedom, one of the synonyms is the term independence. And the, and the definition of, of independence is really enlightening. It said... Independence implies not only lack of restrictions, but also the ability to stand alone, unsustained by anything else. Independence is freedom from control, influence, support, aid, or the like of others. And I suddenly realized my problem. The word freedom these days is interchangeable with the word independence. There is basically a cult of independence in our culture, and it's all wrapped up with individualism. um, And I also realized that independence does not correspond with the word of God. The concept of freedom from all ties, a kind of neutral ground where it's just you, doesn't 
come up in the Bible. This kind of independence, which is the ability to stand alone and sustained by anything else, and freedom from control, influence, support, aid, or the like of others, it doesn't exist in the Bible, and I would, I would argue that it doesn't exist in life. No one lives in a vacuum. There is no neutral ground. Everyone is dependent on something or someone. The Bible suggests that everyone is actually a slave to something, but you do get to choose what you're a slave to. People can think that they are free, that they are independent, because they do what they want to do, and because they're looking after number one. But who is this number one? We are either being led by the spirit or by the flesh. So if we're not following God, then we are slaves to the flesh, to the world and even the enemy. And that's not freedom. And aren't we more than that? Aren't we more than our emotions, our desires, our flesh? Weren't we made for more than that? I guess if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in the spirit, then no, this is it. And it's all about pleasing the flesh. But without the leading of the spirit, this, the flesh doesn't serve you, you serve it. So, it's quite heavy. <laughs> What's the alternative? If there's no neutral ground, then, you know, then we can be set free from something, but we are set free for a purpose. So, what is that purpose? Is it just that we become slaves or servants of God, of righteousness instead? And as I looked at it, I thought, actually, would that be all that bad? Actually, if, we, if everyone is interdependent, then would, you know, would being a slave to, to Christ be that bad? Um, wouldn't it be better to be a gatekeeper in the house of God than the alternative? And, in fact, in the Old Testament, if you look at the people who are called servants of God, they're all the people who are really close to God. So... People like Abraham, Samuel, David, Elijah, Moses, Joshua, and the prophets, they were all called God's servants like it was some kind of revered title. A servant of God, as if they served as members of his royal administration. And Israel as well, they were called God's servant or God's servants. And it was interlinked with this idea of them being chosen and his. So being a servant of God... It's an honor, and it's a privilege. But you know what, actually? God has even more than that for us. And I was reminded as I was looking into this of the story of the prodigal son. It occurred to me that the son who leaves, what he is seeking is independence from his father. Totally cutting ties, no guidance, no contact, no nothing. He goes off and he tries out everything else, but the thing that he ends up depending on, they let him down. And he eventually comes back, knowing that living for himself, being led by the flesh, it's not enough, and it's destructive. And he is willing to become a servant in the house of his father, just to be close to him, and close to his generosity. But that's not enough for the father. Actually, being a servant of Christ is far better than being a slave to the flesh and to sin, but God has more than that for us. He wants us to be his fully restored children. If us being penitent servants was enough, then the old covenant kind of worked. 
But no, he wants reinstated sons. Jesus had to die to get us here. He must have wanted it pretty badly. And this is freedom. The freedom of a clean slate and the freedom from the illusion of independence. The other son can be seen as a slave to the law, to the old covenant. He was ticking all the boxes. He was behaving because he saw it as his only option. But when he complains about how his brother has been treated with such honor, his father says to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Towing the line isn't enough. It's a relationship with the rules, not a relationship with God. And it's not what Jesus died for. God doesn't want default children and dutiful servants. He wants to be the treasured choice of liberated sons. You see, it says in Romans 8, verse 12 to 17, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are fellow sons and heirs with Christ. And Jesus is the prime example of how you are a son and also a willing servant. It says in John 13, verse 3 to 5, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Jesus had all authority, all power. He was free, but he used his freedom to serve. Jesus demonstrates in his life and death the glorious freedom of the children of God, and it's nothing like what the world thinks freedom is. So how do we live in that kind of freedom? How do we exercise our freedom as servant-hearted sons and heirs? A key passage I found as I was reading about freedom was this one. In John 8, 31-32, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So is our freedom conditional on our abiding in his word, if you abide in my word? And what exactly does that mean? Now, here and in other places, freedom is linked with following commandments, with holding to Jesus' teaching. But I think that this is an important translation. It talks about abiding in his word. And elsewhere, Jesus talks about abiding in him and abiding in his love. In John 15:7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I was reminded of the fact that Jesus is called the Word in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. The two are inextricable. If we abide in him, then we abide in his word and we abide in his love. We can't have one 
without the others. And this truth that he speaks of, the truth will set you free. Well, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So abiding in him, abiding in his word, in his love, when we do that, we will know him who is truth. We will know the truth, and that is how we are set free. Freedom is found in living in the presence and company of Jesus. So when we abide in Jesus, we have a way to the Father, and we are given freedom to take up our places as God's children. To know God is to know the love of the Father, but it is also to know that you are in the presence of someone far greater than you are. In Revelation, it talks about all the worship that goes on in heaven, because when you are before him, there is no other reaction. You can't do anything other than worship him. And I think it's the same with this. A life of service flows out of being in the company of Jesus and the presence of God. So it's kind of the same answer that I always get with anything I look up. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about abiding in him. But I do also feel that there's a really important point here, a really important truth here about independence, about the fact that independence is a lie, but more importantly, interdependence is key. Interdependence is everything. Jesus' prayer that we would be one, as he and his Father are one, reveals to us just how important unity and the unity of free people, not controlled, the unity of free people is. And it makes sense because even God is part of a trinity. The interdependence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is there at the most fundamental level of our faith and even our existence. So if there's no such thing as independence, then the reality is that everything is based on dependence and interdependence. And I really need to learn how to do that well. Thank you.